This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Real quick before we get started, got to thank our friends at QuickTrack for making this episode possible today. QuickTrack is the first app of its kind. It's an easy-to-use mobile app that allows anyone to create contracts for anything you need. So for all you freelancers out there, listen up. QuickTrack is about to make your life so much easier. It lets you request amendments if the job changes along the way. You can get paid upon completion, and it gives you a full freelance directory to advertise your own work. And as my own boss, QuickTrack is definitely my favorite app to use on my phone because it makes my job so much easier. Make everything official, protect your work, get it done. Go download the QuickTrack app right now in the App Store. QuickTrack, Q-U-I-K-T-R-A-C-T, QuickTrack. They used to have a line of entourage, 100 people long that wanted to do everything with them and call them all the time. And all of a sudden, where did those people go, right? And then they go to put their kids in school and they would say, oh, well, you you were the best this or that or the other. Can you demonstrate this? Sorry, I can't. I, I can barely walk. Well, happy Monday. I cannot believe that the College Football National Championship is actually here. It really means that the new year is here. Clemson and LSU going head-to-head tonight. I cannot wait to watch it. It brings back so many memories for me every time I watch the national championship game, the Natty, because I got to cheer in the national championship when Oregon played Auburn back in my day um, when I was there. And gosh, it's just... It is such a once-in-a-lifetime experience that you cannot explain. Of course, things didn't go our way, but just want to wish everyone good luck out there, and I cannot wait to see what happens. I'm definitely rooting for the Tigers. Gotta love Coach O. Loved him since he was at USC. And uh, hopefully Joe Burrow can break the Heisman curse. But mostly what I want to talk to you guys about today is something that is very critical when we think of football. So I was watching the playoffs this weekend, the NFL playoffs, and there were a couple really heavy hits that they show in slow motion, obviously, right? Because the play, you know, the play's under review. So you're seeing this play in slow motion about five times, right? You're seeing somebody's head jiggle and rock in a way that is not natural. Of course, I love football more than most people I know. The thing is, there's so much more research about there about the preventative actions that we can take as athletes, as active human beings out in society to make sure that we protect ourselves from enduring injury, whether you're in a car accident or what. One of my suckiest brain injuries was a car accident. And it took me so long to recover from. It was so painful because I would have these headaches that I just thought were migraines, you know. But it takes a long time to recover. And most people don't take care of themselves. And, of course, then the symptoms don't come out until later. And then all of a sudden, sometimes the symptoms manifest into bigger problems, into brain diseases, CTE, you know. So I've had other people on the podcast talk about this, other experts. But I'm excited to bring on Dr. Chad Stevens, who has over 14 years of experience treating and educating others in 
interventional pain management and sports medicine. He's a surgeon, sports med doctor. He is a speaker, world-renowned. He did tours in Australia. He's been all around the country. And he hosts his own podcast. So now sports medicine does not just mean pro athletes. We'll get into that. It's anyone who engages in physical activity. Dr. Stevens is one of the best in the industry because his priority, the patient, the athlete, worrying about their quality of life and not how fast they can get back out on the field after a bad hit. He's seen every sports-related injury you can think of. But, of course, when we think of contact sports and being in the thick of NFL playoffs right now, concussions come to mind. What Dr. Stevens is doing to treat athletes is beyond the traditional concussion protocol. So you'll be blown away. He has pretty much all of the answers. So I'll let him get to it. Here's Dr. Chad Stevens. Well, hey, Dr. Stevens, so great to have you here on the podcast. So much to talk about today, um, not just sports medicine-wise, but to all our healthy and, and, and unhealthy listeners out there, something for them. So um, great to have you today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was funny. I was reading some stuff about sports medicine and thinking about how, you know, we think of the idea of sports medicine as elite athletes, pro athletes. It's something that's for them. If you are at that level, you're treated by a sports medicine specialist or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think we forget that this field and this specialized um, kind of art of medicine doesn't just apply to these really high-profile athletes. So could you kind of walk us through and explain really what sports medicine is to the average Joe? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, you made a good point. I mean, obviously, you've been in professional sports, but you understand that the majority of people that play sports at a young level don't go to elite levels, and very, very few of those, a minuscule amount, goes pro, right? So what most people do is they become – um, just athletes for the sake of sport and they learn team, you know, building skills and they learn about themselves and have pushed themselves and good things like that from, from being involved in their sport. Unfortunately, in these days to be an elite player of anything, it requires not only playing in season, but playing off season and training off season. And so back when I was a kid, you know, we had, um, you know, seasonal sports, And so Mm -hmm, I'd play one sport for a few months and then I'd, you know, resolve that sport. We finish the last game, whatever, then we go to the next sport. But now we have kids that are training like year round, you know, for, for swimming, for soccer, for football, for lifting. And it's hard on the body because our bodies, when we're maturing, are not necessarily meant to withstand, you know, all the rigors of, of weightlifting and things like that, that we impose on them. And so what happens a lot of times is we have what we call overuse injuries. So in the everyday athlete, the young kid athlete, you know, the prepubescent athlete, it's the overuse injuries that we see the most from the, the child that throws too much and they get little leaguer's elbow to all, or also little leaguer's uh, shoulder or people that get jumper's knee because they are running and jumping and things when their knee growth plate is not completely fused and things like that. So 
uh, sports medicine is essentially exactly what it what it says. It's a it's a way for athletes to get the kind of care they need to continue to perform at a high level. You know, the last guy I saw today before my day ended is a jujitsu black belt. And our last visit today, he basically just said, I just came in to, to tell you thank you because I got my belt and, you know, you have been part of my team and, you know, it's, it's been great. And you, I did something for his knee called the nerve ablation. And it was, that's what I was actually in Irvine teaching for this, this weekend. And so it, it helped him allowed him to return to his jiu-jitsu. He's an elite cyclist, allowed him to return to cycling, and he was thankful for that. So by doing something for him in a procedural way or a minimally invasive way, we gave him a chance to kind of get back to his hobby or his sport or his lifestyle, depending on the case maybe. Mm-hmm. And from what I gather from you, it seems like your approach to treatment is a lot is much more different than compared to most um, doctors that we see out there specializing in sports medicine. Am I right? So there's, in sports medicine, you find all kinds of different specialists. Um, you were probably exposed more to orthopedic surgeons during your time at Oregon and, and in San Diego. Um, usually the team doctor for a professional team, at least one of them is going to be an orthopedic surgeon, but some of them are going to be what's called primary care um, musculoskeletal specialists or sports medicine specialists. And so I did that and I did additional training in pain management. And so I am a little bit of a hybrid there. And so I do approach some things a little differently, but from the standpoint of conservative to aggressive, I think all doctors for the most part do that. There's, there's only so many injuries in a season that are catastrophic or, you know, maybe need to have surgery right away. Most things can, can get better with a little time or a little rehab or possibly an injection or something fairly simple. And so I think that the overlap of what you saw in your collegiate and pro years probably is similar to some of the things I do. It's the overuse elbow person that, that has tennis elbow that I treat with a little three-minute procedure where I go in and out of the elbow with a water jet and to breathe their tendon so that they get blood flow back to the tendon to heal that maybe you know everyday orthopedic surgeons are not going to do um, for their patients. So... It's just a little different approach, but you know, with your goal is to get people better, but to not go from A to Z, but to go, you know, A and then C and then D and work your way to Z a little more slowly, unless somebody's got a torn ligament or some kind of a structural damage that requires surgery. Mm -hmm. So would you say most of the time you're able to help your patients without going to the extreme surgery right away? Yes. I mean, when you say extreme surgery, if you mean like changing function and structure kind of like are you test are you trying you know different methods out for pain management before you're saying oh hey we just need to get in there now so in a way yes so the pain management side of it is if somebody has a chronic pain condition and they see me i'm going to do everything i can to not put them on pain medication you know we have an opiate epidemic in our country and it's something that's a big big deal and pain doctors i don't think we're as responsible as some might say you know there's a lot of factors but we need to do our best to be diligent to do that last instead of first. And so for chronic pain patients, I oftentimes will recommend small procedures. We're talking about, you know, Bridget, like five minute procedures in the OR. Oh, wow. and, and they're, you know, hopefully going to be better a few minutes or a few hours later and, you know, a few days later. And so it's just a real small intervention compared to opening up skin and, and breaking up tissue and all that kind of stuff. So in the acute injury, if there's something that doesn't seem to be anatomically altered, 
we will do some rehabilitation and some what we call modalities, you know, the heat, the ice, the compression, all those kind of things. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm thinking also when athletes retire um, and they come to you to finally treat injuries that have gone untreated for so long during a playing career, um, what's your approach to that when there's something that you know has is has been festering for such a long time, but now you're you're finally able to get under it? I have a perfect example, something that happened in your neck of the woods uh, last Wednesday. You remember Joe Montana? Mm-hmm played for San Francisco yep. 49ers. Joe was implanted with a little stimulator lead last Wednesday called a stem wave lead. And what yeah. it is, he's, he's going to be a spokesperson then because it's working well for him, but it's essentially just a little small plastic lead that communicates with an external source by Bluetooth to cause wow. stimulation to his knee. So he doesn't have pain from his knee anymore. Yeah. And he'll probably do other body parts too. We can do shoulders. We can do other, we can do any, anywhere there's a nerve. So if you said, I've got this this carpal tunnel syndrome and surgery didn't resolve it. I can put a, a little stimulator lead in your arm and stimulate that nerve so it doesn't bother you as much. Right. And you can imagine, I mean, he played so long ago. So you can yeah. imagine if somebody who's just getting out of an NFL career take, takes that approach. I mean, the, probably the, the results are even better. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's... Um, it, it takes a toll on its bo- on your body to, you know, perform at the level that Joe did or that a lot of people did in the NFL and, you know, even, even professional cheerleading. I mean, it's, it's the higher you go in sport, the more likely you are to either have a catastrophic injury or at least a, a, a long And the longer you injury. go. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know that. I yeah. mean, you've been kicked in the head a thousand times, right? Absolutely. That's the thing. It's, I mean, I think we just kind of forget about all those little things because you're used to having injuries. Um, so that's one thing like for college athletes or professional athletes who are just taking these injuries and, you know, it's like, oh, we'll just get through it, tough it out because that's what we know. That's what we're taught all growing up. Um, what would you say to them as far as looking out for the signs to better take care of your body? So there's a tricky dichotomy here because some of the athletes you mentioned are employees, right? Pro sports athletes are essentially employees of the league. College athletes are essentially employees of the school, right? High school athletes have a little different situation. So the first thing I would tell people is don't be afraid to talk to your trainer and your your team doctors. In other words, early intervention usually equals, you know, prevention. And so, um, People are so afraid at the elite levels that it'll affect their draft status or their trade, you know, you know, you know, value. It'll yeah, it'll, or a contract, whatever it is. Contract negotiation. But when you have a choice in the matter and you're at a an age where you, you know, you know that your lifestyle is not going to be throwing or catching a ball, um, I think it's smart to have early communication with trainers. I talk to high school kids all the time and say, you've had a concussion, and so the most important thing you can do is if you have any symptoms of a headache or dizziness or you forget to play or whatever, tell your trainer. Don't wait until you're knocked out on the floor of the, of the field and we don't, you know, we're out there wondering what's going on because you've had so many micro traumas during the week. Would you say that most trainers and team doctors are more aware now of these things to the point where they'll better protect players? Because you, I mean, you got to know firsthand that coaches, first thing they're thinking is I want my player out on the field. Yes, they care about safety, but, um, I mean, let's be honest, you're just, you're trained your whole life to be able to get back out there and go. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, 
there has to be an understanding between doctors and the, tra the trainers um, as one part of the team and the coaches as the other part of the team to, to all work for the best interest of the athlete. I've, I've been at schools where, um, and team doctored for places where that was the case. And I've been where it was very adversarial and where you were almost like, well, if you, if you don't you know, do things more aggressively, you won't be here next year kind of thing. And um, that goes all the way down to the ethics of medicine and, and what we need to do first by not harming people and you know, doing what's right for people in all situations. And so I would say the answer to your question lies in what level of, of athletics we're talking about. But at every level of athletics, there needs to be an understanding from the coaches. You know, I don't, I don't go up and tell the coaches which play to run, even though I might know what to do. And, and usually it's best if they don't come and tell a coach or a, a team doc that, hey, that guy's really fine. You know, yeah. I'll give you a case in point. There was, there was an athlete on a field one day that was a, about a 14-year-old boy. And uh, the trainers and the coaches, uh, and for this case, the trainers and the coaches both thought that the athlete was okay and just, you know, could kind of come off the field and kind of, you know, maybe just watch the rest of the game. And when I got to the, to the field and took a look at the kid's leg, he had a fracture right at the growth oh plate. Oh, my gosh. And his leg was bent into an L shape. Oh. And I said, no, this guy's got to go to the OR. So he was in the OR 30 minutes later. And so sometimes it's an expertise level. And sometimes it's a um, trying to have the best interest of the athlete versus the best interest of the team. But um, I think what you're starting to see is players that are uh, at high levels know that if they come out earlier, you know, we had Andrew Luck retire this year, right? Andrew Luck, you know, right at the, the peak of what people thought was going to be a good year for him, you know, he, he retires, he comes back for his injury kind of slowly and not to the, you know, level he wants to. That That's like something that it was, you know, it used to be really frowned on. And, it, you know, he got booed a few times and things. But when people really look at Andrew Luck, they look at a guy who's super intelligent, you know, trained at an at a Ivy League school. And he's a very smart guy and he's doing what's right for his future and his family. You know, how can you fault the guy for that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But again, so many times fans or either, um, you know, peer athletes think athlete is my identity. I am yeah. this kind of player. Um, and so we forget there is life after sports and your life after sports lasts so much longer than your life on the field or on the court. Absolutely right. You got to, I mean, there's a, a NCAA commercial, you know, it shows about everybody's going to go pro and something and, and almost none of them are athletes. Right. And I think that's a really true thing, but, but all those people that went through their NCAA, NCAA um, scholarships, you know, got a gift. They got a chance to, to get an education that could carry them on to further things. And it also gave them the skills they need to be successful in other jobs because they've learned a, a great work ethic. They've learned how to work in teams They've learned how to push their bodies themselves to limits. And I mean, all the lessons that those sports gave them, you could argue, are the building blocks of their future you know, employment. Right. Absolutely. And I 100 percent agree with you. Those are the building blocks. But sometimes when you're leaving your sport for the first time and taking that first step into what I mean, I kind of call real life, um, you don't really realize how to use those building blocks to your advantage in this new routine, this new life that you have, um, because it's so unfamiliar and you don't know how to identify with this new you. And I'm sure that you see that even more so with people's people's careers who are cut short by injury. Um I can't imagine because you're just literally thrown into it. You're not prepared. Any cases that kind of come up in your mind where you think of, 
you know, maybe you're a pro or college athlete whose career ended in a devastating injury and, you know, finding their identity was really hard for them because of the medical side of it. Uh, the first person that comes to my mind was actually a high school athlete. I hope okay. that's not too no, long ago. Absolutely. But he was a, a baseball player locally here. And it's it's kind of a cool story. But um, he he came to me through one of the local um, newspapers because they knew of a procedure I was doing for concussion athletes. And this guy took a 90-mile-an-hour uh, 90 fastball inside the helmet and um, got a bad concussion. And he went from being, you know, college division one bound to can't even – concentrate enough to go to college and you know he went to one of the local colleges and so he came to see me because the news writer had heard about the procedure I do where I put lidocaine in the nose and reset the, the um, blood flow to the brain in order to get the headache and the other migraines you know symptoms to go away and we and he called me and said I've got a boy I want to do this on but I'm going to start writing the story and then he's going to come and do this procedure with you and if it works we're going to finish the story if it doesn't work we're not going to print the story so he came in, no pressure, right? So he came in and, and lo and behold, the kid and his dad came in. His dad was a coach, you know, the whole story. It's always an AD or a yeah. coach's son that was, you know, destined for greatness and, and it kind of gets cut short. So, but we got his headache and, and his symptoms, to, you know, very manageable level. He was, he'd spent his time in college as, as the, um, the equipment manager for the football team. And he got to be close to the athletics, but didn't, he couldn't play because his headaches would come back. And so, um, that was a, that's the best example of somebody I think of recently, but there's, you know, athlete after athlete. Um, usually it's, it's when you have to disqualify a concussion athlete, that's hard because uh, I can think of a, in Indiana, when I was there, there was a, a collegiate athlete whose dad was an AD of his high school and they came in and we had this discussion and the boy turned to me and, you know, kind of away from his family and said, will you tell my family that I never want to feel like this again? And I'm like, well, I, I think you just did. And he said, well, um, I need them to understand that, that another concussion could put me back in the exact same place. And so I was able to kind of reason with them a little bit and let them know that, you know, he's not joking. He really is not doing well. And um, we really need to take him seriously. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I think, you know, especially as fans, we so much forget um, how quickly that stuff can change, even for high school athletes. Um, your life changes immediately when you have an injury like that, especially with concussions, because it's not something that's like, I mean, of course it is physical, but it's like you can move, you know, you can move your arms and legs. Um, so you yep. feel like, oh, I might be able to do this extreme motion, um, but you really can't. And it's such a risk, but it, that's so hard to hold yourself back from, especially if you're a competitor and you've been an extreme yeah. competitor your whole life. Yeah. Well, this kid, um, what finally did him in that this will, this will kind of illustrate this. He had, you know, had all these injuries and he was a basketball and football player and he had all his injuries through high school. And in college he was, um, in like a, um, the, 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 the people still play racquetball, you know, mm -hmm. I'm talking about yeah, racquetball. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was, it was kind of a thing in the eighties. No, you know? total. I know and, racquetball. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's a small little cubicle kind of hitting the ball, and the ball just kind of glazed off his head. It went, it went from all the all. It's a scary you know, sport. Uh, it didn't hit him hardly at all, right? I mean, it wasn't a direct blow. It just kind of grazed across the side of his head, and he was down for five minutes. Oh, my god! And that's when he said, you know what, if, if, if it's going to, you know, I could be pushing my kids at a, at a swing set and hit my head and be out and not be able to be a dad, you know? So that's when he said it's just not worth it. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's those little things. Oh, my gosh. And I mean, like, I know I've talked about this before on another episode um, with uh, Dr. Vackel on concussions. You know, every single one gets worse. So many, you know, other peer athletes that I know, um, you know, every single one progressively worse. But of course, the treatment um, gets better. Would you say that it's the same way with most injuries? Like, I don't know if most athletes have, um, you know, the repeat injuries over and over again, but have you seen technology and concussion protocol, all those kind of um, treatments advance enough where we're getting better at those things and dealing with the repeat injuries a little bit better? Yeah, let's start with concussion because that's probably the one that's the most. So back when you were, you know, training and working out and, and professionally competing, it was if you had a concussion, go back to the dark room and stay there and come out three weeks from now when your headache's gone, right? And don't take any Tylenol, don't take any Motrin, yep. don't do anything because we want to know when your headache goes away because that tells us your concussion's gone, right? Well, that is the wave of the past. Wow, and that's it, amazing. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, the wave of the future is exactly this. If somebody's not turning the corner within about five or seven days, then we start aggressively treating their headaches. And we, because we have learned that post-concussion headache becomes a chronic migraine. And what happens to migraines, if you don't, you know, kind of nip it in the bud, it becomes a, a problem for their life. And so we don't want our athletes to have to deal with that. So we do that nerve block in the nose, we call a sphenopalatin ganglion block or a sphenocath. There's, um, I was speaking at a, a meeting last year at a, at a headache conference. And, you know, we had all the heads of all the neurology departments there and, and, and me, and I was kind of the only interventional guy, but all of us agreed that whether it be medication, whether it be, you know, a sphenocath or whatever it is, early on to get rid of their symptoms. And here, here's the take home, Bridget. It's not to get them back on the ball field. It's to get them back in the classroom at the dinner table. So what we're doing is we're, we're taking them from isolation and from, um, you know, depression to giving them a chance to still interact with their colleagues and their friends and at the dinner table, their families. And then, and only then they go through the school's protocols for how they, you know, either do balance testing or written tests to be able to be ready to go on and, and do something uh, at an athletic um, competition. Wow. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. That is unbelievable. I mean, the fact that that kind of research has evolved so drastically in just a few short years. Well, it's important. I mean, you, you've seen deaths of people like Junior Seau, mm -hmm. you know, that was in your town. And people like that, that, uh, you know, unsensible deaths that may have or may not have had to do with, you know, the amount of hits he had and the micro trauma they had and what was eventually called, um, you know, CTE. And so um, there, there are effects for sure, Bridget. And, and you know, you talk to players of, of all levels and the kids that have, and the adults that have had a lot of concussions, they'll either have some chronic headaches or they'll have difficulty focusing or different things come up. And so it, it is critical to protect the head. Um, I do think it's still worth letting people participate in many sports. I mean, I was just in Australia last week and they have a sport called footy, which is like a cross between, have you ever seen this before? No. It's a cross between rugby and American football, okay. but no pads. Oh my gosh. No helmets. The only protective gear they have on is cleats. Oh my gosh. Rugby's and, and already really physical. Jeez. Oh, they kill one another. And so, you know, we have, we have what we call pass interference in America. There's no such thing as you can, you can literally knock the guy down that's supposed to be catching the punt 
and and no, there's no penalty, you know. And so it's they have a lot of concussions in Australia as a result. And so this is not just a United States phenomena. It's kind of a, a worldwide phenomena with 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 and it's not just football. It's you know it's it's cheerleading. It's girls soccer. There's a ton of girls soccer concussions. And so it's it's all about you know the level of competition. It's all about good preparation and then you know good treatment when somebody has uh, a condition. Mm-hmm. Oh, one hundred percent. And I know you kind of mentioned with um, some of the patients we were talking about earlier that um, they've confided in you how they were feeling about leaving their sport kind of early on because of injury. Um, But like we were talking about with Junior Seau, any football player who's dealt with CTE, I'm guessing like hockey players, you know, anyone who's been in a physical sport, um, you know, it's so unfortunate that we can't really diagnose CTE in a living brain yet. I'm, I think I'm right on that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, Gosh. I mean, what have you seen by, um, I don't know how many cases you've seen, but like maybe older guys, older athletes, you know, who haven't played for years, but maybe, you know, like we were talking about this, this a little bit earlier, the symptoms are coming on a little bit later. Um, do they confide in you a little bit about what's going through their minds as far as what they're dealing with in that um, everyday life aspect? Because it's it's got to be a little bit traumatizing that, um, you know, it's it's changing them all of a sudden and you don't know if you're ever going to be the same again no it's scary they're scared right because they're um and they didn't have those resources back then at all (laughs) yeah no so they have to really get a rapport with you that's what really is important about a patient doctor relationship because you take a person who was supposed to be superman or superwoman and and now they've taken away their cape and and now they can't fly but yet um they don't know what their purpose is and they don't know, you know, so they struggle with their identity. They used to have a line of entourage, 100 people long that wanted to do everything with them and call them all the time. And all of a sudden, where did those people go, right? And then they go to put their kids in school and they would say, oh, well, you you were the best this or that or the other. Can you demonstrate this? Sorry, I can't, I, I can barely walk, you know? And, and there's a certain degree of this, um, I, I consider it to be almost like a wounded warrior syndrome, you know, like people come back from battle and they have problems with, post-traumatic stress disorder and things. I almost think that athletes have a similar transition from high-level sport to normal life. In many instances, there's some people that, that do it very well, and it seems to be people that kind of take a gracious exit when it's off. You know, they they win a couple Super Bowls, they're like, it can only get better than, it can't get better yeah, than this, right. I'm cutting out. Like, you know? Yeah, stop Those when people, it's, uh, stop at your peak, yeah. yeah. Right, you know, and so I think, I think there's a lot of that to be concerned. I mean, people like Peyton Manning, who played through, you know, all his neck surgeries and everything he had. I mean, he couldn't even feel the, by all accounts, the, the ball coming off his fourth and fifth digits. And that's how you spiral a ball. But he played his last year with the Broncos. He, he noticed how his, the, you know, the ball wasn't spiraling as well, but it was on spot and he was hitting his receivers. Peyton Manning played a long time, but he got out at a time where you can see, I mean, he's, he's doing awesome with all these commercials and he's funny and he's articulate and, you know, Tony Romo, guys like that, they got out at a good time and doing well with announcing and things like that. And then, and then you hear about other guys that are, you know, bankrupt and all they do is, you know, smoke and everything, you know, and so there's a lot of, this comes down to your own personal values and belief system. A lot of it comes down to what's your support system like, right? People that have good spouses, people that have good families have a better chance. You know, if you were just Superman and now people don't, don't look up to you anymore and that was your whole identity, then, you know, then what do you have? So 
I think it's important for the people that are playing high level sports to hobbies is the wrong term, but to have other things that, that they do that please them and, and to have friends that are not athletes, because when the lights go out, th then what do you do? You know, what, what, what is, what makes you, you, you know, and, and you know, you could ask, you can answer that question yourself. When you cheered your last cheerleading, you know, game for the chargers, weren't you kind of a little bit lost for a while? I mean, that's oh, it, it would be a natural thing. Yeah. It's natural. Totally. It's so, it, and I think that's what we for, forget is it's natural because you're a little bit embarrassed at first, you know? Yeah. But, but uh, then I think you sit back and you go, I really accomplished a lot. I really right. did what I needed to do. Totally. And, and now what's my next phase and what can I do now to, you know, maybe you feel like you've been given a lot. Now maybe is a chance to give back a lot. You know what I mean? All right, back to the show in a bit. But remember how I was telling you about Quick Track at the beginning of the podcast? Well, I just want to remind you, if you didn't download it before, go do it now. It's a free app that is the total freelancer solution to connect, agree, and get paid. With plug-and-play templates, Quick Track is your simple solution to getting things in writing without the heavy-handedness that comes along with all those traditional contracts we hate. It doesn't matter who you are, what your business is, Quick Track is your easy solution. Download the Quick Track app in your app store today for free. Quick Track, Q U I K T R A C T, Quick Track. Now, back to the show. So, what treatments would you say that you're most excited about, or new technology, um, anything coming out soon, or um, I, I don't know, or stuff that maybe not be like FDA approved, whatever? Um, what are you most excited about that might help athletes recover from injury in the near future? So that's a that's a tricky thing because I don't know that there's a whole lot of new technologies for for that. But but um, I think you've heard me talk before about the unequal Kevlar device that goes in the helmet that reduces the risk of head injuries and things. So I think our protect gear has improved. I mean, you can you can spend three grand for a helmet now and you know have a, a, a real quality helmet, or you can spend two hundred dollars. You know, so our our protective equipment in most sports and our knowledge of, of the need for the protective equipment has improved, right? There was a time where, you know, there was no, nobody wore any kind of protection in soccer or in seven on seven football. And now like in the state of Texas, they require um, in the seven on seven, you know, flag tournaments for them to have headgear on uh, because there's so many different collisions and they don't have any pads on everything to protect them. And so it protects the athlete. So I think the, Protective gear has improved. I think our treatment for things such as concussion with the device I told you about, the, the Sphenocath has helped. And I think that we've also got some things now that are, are really cool to treat the chronic pains that the athletes get because they're 40 and they need a knee replacement. Well, now we can do things where we, we actually um, burn the nerves that go to the knee and give them relief until the nerves regenerate themselves. Or we can do the thing that Joe Montana chose to do and put the stimulator lead in the lead or in the knee and be able to stimulate the pain when he's having pain he can just kind of do his own treatment and kind of control his own pain rather than pop a pill oh my gosh that's unbelievable i didn't understand that that's how it worked like that he could do it himself yeah yeah so the, the whole idea of it is to give the power back to the patient people that are you know that are requiring narcotics the power is with the pill and they patients feel very hopeless and selfless or you know just self-deprecating they feel very very defeated so when you can give them the power back by giving them a device that says 
you know, Joe, if, or whoever the person is, if, if you're hurting and your knee's bothering you, all you got to do is turn this device on. It will stimulate the nerves in the knee, decrease your pain. And then when you're ready to turn it off, turn it off. You've got control. Wow. That is unbelievable. Oh my gosh. I mean, the yeah. how far we have come. Jeez. I mean, I'll see it's people cool. on airplanes who are, you know, doing acupuncture to themselves. So, I mean, yeah. oh my gosh. So if people are looking for these sort of treatments, I mean, I got to assume they can't be cheap. Um, so, but an, if an athlete either has run out of money or has never had the resources or just anybody who is in pain, what would you suggest to them if they want to take this kind of uh, alternative approach? So if, if, if they need a procedure that's not covered, they don't have insurance or it's not covered by insurance, uh, that, that's a little bit tricky because there are, there are costs that are fixed that, you, that we can't affect, like the hospital costs or the surgery center costs, the anesthesia costs and the product costs. And I, I can adjust you know, my costs really easily. I can control that. But, but there's other things I can't force everybody to do. But I'll give you an example. A guy came uh, from Costa Rica a couple weeks ago um, because he had researched all the doctors in the U.S. and decided I was not too old or too young, and I looked fit. That was his exact words. And so he came to me, and I put a little spacer between the spine process and his back and took away his pain in his back and his lower legs when he walked. So he, But he, he came and paid cash for that. And uh, so some people choose to do that. And, and to be honest with you, Bridget, people go to other countries, Panama, other countries, and do different kinds of procedures for hopes to, you know, improve their quality of life and their pain. And so um, one thing I've found is that, you know, pain or, or injury is, is kind of necessitates uh, invention sometimes. P people find a way to, to get the care they need. Um, of course, people that have no insurance or in a county hospital system go to county hospitals. Usually county hospital systems, you'll meet a, a resident doctor instead of a attending doctor, but they're still qualified to do what they need to do. And and oftentimes they learn um, and keep up to date because they have a lot of academic sessions they have to go through while they're doing their residencies. And so those would be advice for people that um, don't have the means to, to get care from a private physician. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there, there's always a way. You shouldn't be afraid right. to go and at least seek the help. Right. Definitely. And just with the Internet. I mean, like you were just saying, there's just so many ways to find out things. I mean, there's like no excuse to give up. No, they can go to our web, you know, go to our website, which is noblepainandsport.com, and they can, you can look, you can search by what your condition is, like low back pain, and it gives you options, and you might go, oh, I didn't know that was a possibility, or yeah, that makes sense, that might work for me, and then, so a lot of times patients have already come in and, and researched those things, and say, this is the thing I'm thinking will probably fit, is this what I need, and, and you can kind of say, yeah, or no, there's kind of some nuances that, it's, that you know, I can explain, but um, for the most part, we have some pretty neat, different, um, minimally invasive, meaning quick, you know, return to activity, quick return back to work, um, treatments that we can give people that don't require a bunch of pills. And so part of my job and really any doctor's job is to let people know what opportunities are there for their benefit. And, you know, that things have changed and things have gotten better through the years. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a six inch incision in their back necessarily. You know, we obviously do what's necessary when the, when the time comes, but, but there's just a lot of new technologies that have come out that I think can help people get back to play or work easier. And my job is to kind of go out and, and try to get that word known and kind of be a thought leader for these different uh, products so that the, the patients that could benefit from them at least get access 
you know, to hear about them, then hopefully they find, you know, the, the means and the time to come and see us or somebody else. Absolutely. Um, I think we covered mostly everything. Yeah, no, we did. I mean, we, we covered a lot of my world. Um, I, I think that um, you have a lot to, um, to bring to the conversation about the transition from, you know, athlete to working woman. And uh, we talked about that in my podcast. And, and I think that was extremely helpful. And I hope people will go search that out so they can hear your side of, of how you handled this. Okay, so go listen to the Dr. Steven Speaks podcast. It's an awesome, awesome new show. Um, like you heard on this episode, he has so much wisdom and knowledge and the facts to back it up um to educate us so yeah i think that's about it but thanks so much for for coming on the show and and you're welcome back anytime because this has been so educational for me i feel like i'm in a class it's like i learned so much no i think i think we we need to just keep the conversations going because there's a lot of back and forth between us and, and i'm happy to to come on anytime and I'll, I'll definitely keep you in the forefront of my people as well well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I'm going to play it over again and again. Please, before you go, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Go follow us on Instagram so you can stay up to date on everything after Orange Slices. Plus, get a little sneak peek of behind the scenes stuff going on with the show and so many more exciting announcements coming up. So stay tuned. Three inches at 300 miles an hour is still gonna do some damage. Goddamn right. It ain't about how Cheers to that, brother. Because Adam breastfed until he was sick. <laughs> I had small teeth. My mother loved me. What's the problem? But did you know that deer eat baby birds? <laughs> you think it's illegal to take a pellet gun and start popping pigeons from underneath the, the bridge? It's a very politically correct show. <laughs> I've never wiped my ass left-handed. You didn't left-hand it? I don't think I can. Shooting squirrels out of boats. You start second-guessing a lot of decisions that you make. When you know that you're up against yeah, nature's apex predators. Yeah, I'll eat some deer balls. I don't like shooting them anywhere near the heart because I like to eat the heart. So now we have a line at oh, said boat launch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a pickle patch back up. Don't raise your panties in a bunch of place. Dude, we were hearing gobbles before we even sat down. We got yes. out of the truck fucking everywhere. They saw they, they were committing to the decoys until they saw him. Right. Like, oh, hell no. Motherfucker's got me fucked up. <laughs> Bert doesn't even particularly care for the Wu-Tang, but when he starts sounding like old, dirty bastard, there's a problem. Shut her down. I'm Bert. I'm Adam. I'm Ray. And this is the Racks, Fur, and Feathers podcast.